Matthew chapter 10, and we'll be reading the whole chapter. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit, your father, spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you'll not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, 
a daughter against his, her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Uh, thanks, Tim. Uh, do keep that passage open. We're going to be looking through it. Uh, it's a long passage, so my apologies if we don't cover the one verse you were hoping we would. Uh, I've tried to pick up on some of the uh, uh, more uh, interesting ones that uh, you might have questions about. Um, everyone keeps asking me what happened to my nose. I was hanging out the washing, okay? <laughs> I think that probably shows I should hang out the washing more if that's what happens. So uh, there you go, that's over and done with. Uh, let me pray as we begin uh, this passage. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the mission we uh, see him engaged in, in this passage and sending out his disciples and by extension, the church global, us here today. We pray that you'd be with us, speak to us, uh, direct our thoughts so that we may glorify you and respond rightly to your word. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are here last week, uh, just at the end of chapter 9, you'd have heard all about the mission of Jesus. To go to all who have not heard. It's uh, great we've got Margo and Fernando with us. Uh, going to those who haven't heard. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, where Jesus is king. And we ended with Jesus' point about the harvest being plentiful, People are ready to hear and respond to the good news, the gospel, and, it, and there's lots of them. There's lots of people to reach, but the workers are few. And so Jesus' first fix for that problem, at the end of our passage last week, you can see it there in your Bibles, chapter 9, verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So the end of chapter 9 introduces the mission of Jesus, and we're told to pray for workers to go out. And then chapter 10 starts to show the answers to those prayers. What will it look like in the world? Now, as is always the case when we're running behind in a service, I've not gone for the standard three. We've got seven points, but don't worry, they're, they're all short-ish. Uh, so number one, gospel workers are under Jesus' authority. As we said last week, praying for workers to go into the harvest field uh, is a dangerous thing to do. Uh, we just might find with the answer to our own prayers, as the disciples find out in chapter 10. It's not a reason not to pray. We also said it's not scary to pray. It's a good thing to do. Uh, but have a look at verse 1 of our passage. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. 
because the disciples are in a very unique time in history, Jesus gives them the same authority he had over evil spirits and physical health. Uh, It's a commission that by the end of Matthew's Gospels narrowed to proclamation, teaching and baptising. But for now, in chapter 10, we see extraordinary things happening through the life of the disciples. Uh, There's no written New Testament at this point. The church is about to be launched. Jesus hasn't even died and risen again at this point. And so great signs and wonders that have never been seen since to the extent we see here accompany the good news of the kingdom as proof of the authority that the disciples carry under Jesus as they go out. And what's interesting, though... uh, is the way the disciples are listed. We get a list of the 12 disciples, and we're given their names. A couple of them we're told about their family relationships and how to identify them. But then we get verse 4. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, who betrayed Jesus. Gospel workers are under the authority of Jesus. And it's important to remember that. Uh, It doesn't matter if someone is commissioned and sent out or ordained or or sent. None of that makes someone a Christian. It it doesn't give that person authority to forgive sins. It doesn't mean that that person is infallible. It doesn't mean that that person can't make mistakes in their teaching or their actions. Judas, commissioned by Jesus, should make that clear enough. He later goes on to betray Jesus to his death. What a mistake it would be for people at that time to have followed the 12 disciples, to have picked one. Who's my favourite? No, the only authority for any gospel worker is Jesus himself. You wouldn't want to have chosen Judas as a man to follow. And it's a really helpful reminder for us today, isn't it? Uh, When we send out workers, when we pray for workers, Perhaps when we become a a worker, we only do so as far as they teach and act by the word of God under the authority of Jesus and his word in the Bible. We only listen if they're showing us Jesus and Jesus' word. That's why we always encourage you to have an open Bible when someone from the front speaks to you. Because gospel workers are under Jesus' authority. Number two. Gospel workers preach Jesus. We've touched on this already, but look at verse 5 and 6. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town or of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, so as Jesus begins to announce his kingdom, he deliberately started with the Israelites, the Old Testament chosen people of God. Uh, God, through the Old Testament, had promised a king would come. They've been expecting him, and they should have responded quickly and keenly to Jesus. And so the proclaiming starts here in the New Testament, rightly, with the Israelites, with the Jews. As you read on through Matthew's Gospel and the other Gospels, we see a fairly large-scale rejection of Jesus by them, to the point that they put him to death on a cross. And such, as such, at that point, Jesus' ultimate plan is revealed. God is not just for the Israelite people. He is for all nations. 
And so after his death and resurrection, he commissions his disciples and the church, right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, uh, Matthew 8, 28, verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. As we said last week, all is a big word. And what is to be taken to all nations? Back in our passage, verse 7, As you go, he says, proclaim this message, The kingdom of heaven has come near. Preaching about the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is king. A a verbal proclamation of God's truth. An explanation of God's word that shows us that Jesus is the king of his new kingdom. And he is about, at this time, to fulfill all of those promises that you've read about in the Old Testament in front of your eyes. He's about to reveal that he is the king that has come. And so the message, as we'll see shortly, is to repent before it's too late. Uh, Many churches have lost their way and have ventured into being social communities to seek to bring about good moral behaviour and social support structures, that is not the gospel. The disciples are not sent out just to heal people and cure them of their diseases and make life more comfortable. They're sent out to preach of the kingdom of heaven and to heal. Gospel work can include social care. It's right to love your neighbour and even your enemy. But gospel work is to preach the word of God that points to the King Jesus of his new kingdom. So when we send out and support missionaries or church planters across London, or when we need people, we need people who are committed to passing on the truth of God's word. Whether that's through sermons or one-to-ones or small groups, without proclaiming the gospel of Jesus through his living and active word, There is no mission or no gospel work taking place. uh, Because there's no hope for those people they work with, unless they hear of the King Jesus. Now, of course, uh, we don't all have to be preachers to help the gospel to be preached. Uh, We could be a mechanic servicing planes uh, so that a missionary can use it to reach the unreached. We could be a financial expert helping coordinate the finances of a mission. We could be in Worcester Park praying for our workers. We could be in Worcester Park giving financially to support those preaching the gospel to the unreached. We must be clear. Our aim is that the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, is preached, either by us or by as a result of what we are doing. So gospel workers preach Jesus. Number three, gospel workers are worth their keep. Uh, Verse 9 and 10. I think there's often a common misunderstanding about these verses. Uh, Have a look at the end of verse 8. We read, freely you have received, freely give. And then we read, verse 9 and 10, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. And we conclude that the gospel worker really doesn't need much. Uh, They are superhuman, I hope you're listening, superhuman sacrificial people who can live on bread and water and sleep on a park bench. 
what Jesus actually says is something quite different, isn't it? Freely you have received, freely give, immediately follows him saying, proclaim the good news of the kingdom. It doesn't mean that you're not to be paid or supported for your work. Jesus means you've received the gospel, which is a free gift for the forgiveness of sins through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, who gives all of that new life to you freely. Proclaim that message as free. You can't earn or pay your way into this kingdom. It is free. Jesus gives it to you. The gospel is a free gift. Tell other people it's a free gift. The worker, though, is actually, verse 10, worth their keep. Jesus does not send the disciples out with no money because they don't need anything. That's not what it says at all. He sends them out with nothing because he says that there are faithful and worthy people to be found throughout Israel as you go who will supply your needs. You are worth your keep. So we don't say to Margaret and Fernando, uh, make sure you empty your bank accounts, take all your own money with you because we're not helping. No, we will show our love for them and for other gospel workers around the world that we support. We will show that they are worth their keep by supplying what they need. And today, as missionaries travel further from those, uh, from gospel-hearted men and women into places that haven't been touched by the gospel uh, at all or barely at all, we need to send them with everything they need because they are worth their keep. We want to support and love and be part of that work so the gospel is proclaimed. So if you're able, you can set up that direct debit this week for Margot and Fernando. Number four, gospel workers reveal the sinfulness of man. Have a look at verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Now, that sounds a little bit harsh, doesn't it? But actually, it's far from harsh. The utter sinfulness of humanity, of our rejection of the Creator God, deserves nothing but judgment. We choose it. And yet, Jesus has given up the glory of heaven, come down to be a man. He's walking in relative poverty on the earth at this point. He's walking towards death on a cross, all for this rotten humanity who is dead in their sins and completely undeserving. So when he sends out his people with the good news of salvation, the new kingdom, a re-entry into relationship with the God of all things, the Almighty, when that is proclaimed to us, to them, and explained to us, to them, well, the options are simple, aren't they? Repent and believe and enjoy his grace because he is all in all. Or all out continued deliberate rejection 
of the most loving grace and message in all of this world. To reject the gospel, to reject Jesus, is to condemn themselves. And it will be far worse, Jesus says. Indeed, it will be far worse for those today who reject the gospel than it will be for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment. Because while Sodom and Gomorrah rebelled against God, they had not yet seen or been shown the Saviour Jesus. They had not heard of his grace and his goodness, his compassion and his love. But we have. And as the disciples went out and told the villages and towns and the homes, they heard of this man Jesus who came to save. To reject him, that is worse. To reject Jesus only highlights our sin and our rejection of the Almighty God. It's a very dangerous thing to do, to reject the living God. It's even worse to reject him when you've been told of his incredible love in the person of Jesus and his free offer of grace. It's not surprising then, with that sort of message and the sinfulness of humanity, that our next point is that gospel workers will need wisdom in persecution. Uh, from verse 16, uh, what seems to be in view here is a slightly longer term look. Uh, we're now not just seeing the little uh, mission trips that the disciples went out from Jesus and came back. You can read about them in the other Gospels. Uh, this is more of a general principles. Uh, and 16 onwards seems to widen that uh, out into the rest of Jesus' time on earth and the time of Acts. Uh, but the message is clear. While some will believe this message you take, many will react very badly. They'll threaten, they'll attack, they'll imprison, they'll even kill those that bring this message. And Jesus tells his disciples, if people really won't respond rightly to the gospel, it's okay to move on. Have a look at verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Or part of verse 23, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Gospel workers are not endlessly enslaved to telling the gospel to those who outright refuse and even respond in violence to the gospel. People are responsible for themselves before God. It is not, in other words, a gospel proclaimer's responsibility to convert someone. We can't do that. The disciples and the church ever since, our responsibility is to proclaim, not to convert, to proclaim. Converting, changing hearts, well that is God's work, by his spirit, through the proclaimed word, in those hearts of those whom he's called. And now all of this doesn't mean, uh, it's a different context, it doesn't mean that we don't give up praying for and evangelising to our friends and our loved ones and those that don't believe around us who are close. The context here is keeping the gospel going to the ends of the earth, to all nations. If one village outright rejects you and persecutes you, you're, you're responded to with violence. They refuse to listen well, then it's okay to move on to the next village where God may have a harvest ripe and ready. Plant the seeds. 
and the fruit is up to God. Be wise, says Jesus. Be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves, he says, verse 16. Now that's a hard line to walk. It's People will disagree about when we should stay, when we should go. Oh, that's okay. What is essential is that the gospel is proclaimed and we keep pushing to the next people who have not heard until all nations have heard. It's not surprising there'll be much opposition to the gospel. Such are the strength of feelings people will feel when they hear of their sin and rebellion against God. It will even split families, Jesus warns. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death. And a father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You can imagine it, can't you? A son who accepts Jesus will so highlight the sinful nature of his father who refuses to repent in pride that the father will even betray and even kill his own son or vice versa. Now for us, I hardly think we need to avoid the extreme of staying quiet and being shrewd. We're probably a bit too good at that. But we probably need to be encouraged towards being bold to proclaim the gospel so that persecution sometimes finds us at some level, at work, at school, in our families. We need to be wise in our persecution when we proclaim the gospel. And number six, there's some encouragement. Gospel workers are not alone. Uh, for those around the world, we don't see it in our country at the moment, who are arrested and flogged, and called to give an account for Jesus, there is a great encouragement. You won't be on your own, says Jesus. Verse 19, when they arrest you, do not worry what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The Holy Spirit will be with you and give you wisdom as to what to say. Many an account of martyred Christians can be told throughout time as they sing some glorious hymn as the guillotine falls. Or as countless remain faithful, honouring Jesus, re refusing to deny him, even on pain of death, rather than deny him and go free. Uh, they are never human words, says Jesus. They are the power and grace of God Almighty given to them when they need it. Most of us will never know such terrors as Jesus warns of here. Perhaps some of us will, perhaps more of us should, but never fear. Fear is no excuse for taking out the gospel. Never fear opposition is the message. God is on your side. There's a number of other encouragements given by Jesus to stand up in our work as we proclaim him. Verse 24 and 25, Jesus suffered, and so it's an honour for his followers to suffer too. We'll be more like him. Verse 26, God will reveal and judge all things. Nothing will be unseen. Those who persecute us will face the Almighty. So we can trust him, verse 26. Verse 28, God is much scarier than man, would be my summary of that. 
Man can kill the body, but God can kill the body and soul. Verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's hard to live by, isn't it? But it's very true. Verse 29 to 31, God is in control and he has you. He knows everything about you. He is for you. We're not alone. And then finally, number seven, gospel workers. Are you one? These last few verses are fascinating. And they're often overlooked, I think, by Christians today. We're so busy looking for what we can get out of life now that we even start to rewrite what Jesus said. It should have become pretty clear to us by now that the gospel is not a one-way ticket to popularity and an easy life. If we're prepared to proclaim and speak of him as often as we can, we're not going to be Mr. Popular. On the contrary, being a faithful Christian who speaks the truth about Jesus means that life is not going to be easy. Certainly when it comes to relationships with others around us who refuse the Lord Jesus. Why? Because we need to be telling them the good news of Jesus. And there's no good news of Jesus unless they accept the bad news of our sin and our rebellion against God and our right judgment that awaits us. Good news is only good news when we accept the bad news of our sin and coming judgment. Uh, And while we're often busy chasing comfort, we've forgotten what Jesus promised in this life for his followers. Verse 34, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What are we living for? Peace? Comfort? Verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, says Jesus. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Proclaiming Jesus, honouring him, must come before our own desires or comforts, whatever that might bring for our jobs, for our relationships, for our families, for our comfort. But why wouldn't we? Verse 32, whoever acknowledges Jesus before others, Jesus will acknowledge us before our Heavenly Father. Isn't that extraordinary? You see, the gospel is divisive. It will even split families, not because God is mean, but sadly because of the depth of human sin. But Jesus leaves us with this challenge. Who who do you really live for? Jesus or yourself? And if you choose Jesus, you choose a life that is one that's often going to be relationally and financially difficult and one of sacrifice, We don't put Jesus and his work and his workers first if we're after an easy life, keeping quiet, fitting in with the world around us. No, rather we choose Jesus, who will honour us before our Heavenly Father. We choose proclaiming him. We choose praying to him and for more workers. We choose him by deciding if we'll even be a frontline worker. We, We choose him by supporting frontline workers because we want the gospel to go to all nations. And what a joy. But even the smallest action 
is greatly rewarded, verse 42. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciples, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Friends, do not risk your eternal reward from Jesus for the sake of an easy life. Or as Jesus puts it, verse 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Or the positive side of this, as uh, J.C. Ryle puts it, I think it's on the screen, happy is he who understands that though Christianity holds out a crown at the end, it also brings a cross in the way. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, what a glorious God you are, that despite our sin and rebellion, you give us your free grace, mercy, life. You give us a kingdom where Jesus rules. Forgive us, we have not been faithful servants at all times and in every way. Give us a new vision of the Lord Jesus. May we see how he suffered and sacrificed for us. May we proclaim him wherever we can. May we support those who go to the ends of the earth. May we keep pushing forwards the, the boundaries of your gospel so that those who have not or cannot or will not hear otherwise do hear of your gospel. May we not seek comfort and ease. May we seek your glory because we know you reward us greatly, far beyond we deserve, freely through your gospel. For any of us who don't know you yet, who haven't get committed our life to following you and accepting your gospel in repentance and belief, open our hearts, show us your grace, give us joy, so that we may all serve you and proclaim your gospel to the ends of this earth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.